If you like Dreamtown, the story of Adelanto, and want access to early ad-free episodes, join Friends of the Pod, Crooked's new subscription community at crooked.com slash friends. Woo-hoo-hoo-wee, that last chapter was a humdinger. Jermaine Wright, the city councilman and former preacher, gets busted for trying to burn down his own restaurant and bribing an undercover agent. And Kerr, the mayor, he's now outside of his house, barefoot and in handcuffs, but then he's released without any charges. See, it seems like Bug's plan to save the city with weed is crumbling right under the weight of all these shady deals. And then along comes Stevona. Stevona Evans. Stevona Evans doesn't completely remember how she announced her city council candidacy to the Adelanto public. Um, I don't know that we did. Maybe a Facebook post? Maybe? On August 11th of 2018, Stevana Evans, who was 34 years old at the time, posted a photo of herself on Facebook. It was taken at City Hall. She had one hand raised as she gave an oath that's required of all candidates. Then she got a precinct map and hit the streets knocking on doors. And she took advantage of every opportunity she got to speak to the media. There's, there's like eight or nine people that are running for office in the city of Atalanto. So what sets you apart from all those, all those candidates? Well, I think we start with the obvious. Um, I'm the only woman running. You're the only woman? I'm the only woman. Okay. So out of the nine of us, there's just me. And there were many other ways that Stevana differed from her opponents. One example, her stance on the city's relationship with prisons. Adelanto is home to the state's largest immigration detention center, a privately owned facility. It wasn't until probably early 30s that I started really tapping into what it meant when people said we were a prison city. The year before she announced her run, a detainee inside Adelanto's detention facility died in his cell after hanging himself from a bedsheet. His name was Osmar Gonzalez Godba. He was the first of three inmates to die inside the facility in a three-month period. It was the sort of shocking news that made citizens aware of what was going on in their own backyard. So then I started researching and asking around and getting involved with organizations that were dealing with that kind of stuff and then talking to residents, you know, people that had families either in the jails or the detention center and the experiences were definitely eye-opening and it was frustrating, you know, and how do I fix it? Just one person. I don't know. One way she could fix it was if she had political power and one of her campaign promises was one that pretty much every Adelanto politician has ever made, to bring good jobs to the city. To do that, she felt it was necessary to rebrand Adelanto and shed the city's reputation as a prison town with a long history of corruption. And it's just like, dang, dude, like, our elected leaders fuck shit up. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, guys. But that's the best way I could put it. Like, they just... (laughs) they are the reason we are where we are today and not further, you know? But it it wasn't just them. They were just like, 
the tip of the iceberg. Like they were like what the Titanic ran into, but the iceberg had been growing for a long time under the water, right? From the inventor E.H. Richardson, who founded this place, to Bug, Adelanto had a long history of people with big dreams for this place. And Stevana had her own ambitious plans. She wanted to put a stop to the corruption that plagued Adelanto. And she wanted to end mass incarceration and curb police violence. But there was another issue that she was reluctant to bring up in public. One that was much more personal to her. My passion definitely is for reform of children and family services. Entering public life as a political candidate meant that there were parts of Stevana's past that would come to light. Things she preferred to keep private. Things that could cost her politically and change the way her community saw her. From Crooked Media, this is Dreamtown, the story of Adelanto. Chapter 4, Stevana's Run. Stevana's transformation from regular citizen to political candidate was not an easy one. Her decision to run for office could be traced back to the fall of 2013. Back then, she was living with her husband Lofton and their three children, and she was working at an elementary school. I worked as a substitute for the special needs classes. And so that day I was at Delray, I believe, in Victorville um, when I got the text message. The text was from her husband Lofton. It said that their five-week-old daughter Haven was having trouble breathing. So he took her to the hospital, and she should come meet him there. So I get to the hospital, and, um, you know, hey, I need, my husband and my daughter are here, and I just need to see what's going on. And, and then she said, okay, well, go have a seat over there, and a, a detective will be with you in a little bit. A what? <laughs> I'm confused. Stevana says she was put in a waiting room inside the hospital, where she sat for hours, worrying about her daughter. And so uh, waited for hours, couldn't get a hold of my husband, didn't know what was going on. And after hours of waiting, eventually they come in and they say, well, your daughter passed away. Do you have any questions? Stevana did have a lot of questions. The biggest one was what caused her daughter's death. But she would have to wait for the coroner's report to be finalized. She remembers a detective telling her that she was free to go, but she needed to pick up her two sons Cameron and Aiden, and bring them to the sheriff's station. We go pick them up. We go to the police station, and we're asked. And still, I've never, I haven't seen my husband. I have no idea where he is. I don't know what's going on. And uh, Crimes Against Children interviewed me, and you know they asked a bunch of random questions. Have you ever left your daughter with anyone else? Is there, you know, what? No, I don't know. You know, and um, that's when they told me that her arm was broken. And I'm like, well, I don't know how that could have happened. Yeah, I, I dressed her this morning, and there was nothing wrong. So I don't, I don't know. In the meantime, my husband was getting interviewed by homicide. And after hours of that, it's well into the night now, uh, they bring us both into a room with a, with a CFS worker. They call it an emergency worker. And she said, well, I, it doesn't appear that you guys did anything. But just to be safe, you know, Stevana, you and the kids go with your mom to your mom's house and Lofton can go back home. For the next six weeks, 
Stevano was interviewed several times by Children and Family Services, or CFS, the San Bernardino County Agency responsible for investigating child abuse claims. In addition to her broken arm, Haven had some rib fractures. Stevano says she answered all the investigators' questions, turned over all her kids' medical records, and brought her two sons to a place called the Children's Assessment Center, where they were given x-rays. She and her husband also took lie detector tests. After weeks of answering questions and providing documents, CFS seemed satisfied. Stevana says she was told that she and her kids could go back home to her husband Lofton. For the first time since their daughter died, the family was together. And four days later, CFS showed up at our house to detain the boys. And, you know, I'm like, well, hold on. Let's just work this out. I don't know what's going on. They wouldn't tell us anything. And they were like, no, we're taking them. Stevana's daughter, Haven, had just died unexpectedly. And now the county was taking her two other children away from her. And she just couldn't take it anymore. She completely shut down. I had three days of darkness. Um, like... Closing my room to the point where my husband called my mom like, I don't know what to, <laughs> I don't know what to do. And uh, my mom came over and she said, verbatim, how the fuck does this fix anything? <laughs> and um, we got up and then got to work. Yes, my daughter passed away and I probably still haven't mourned that properly. But I had living children that I had to fight for. So I didn't have a choice but to get up and to fight. Okay, they've got my kids. How do I get them back? Let's go. Stevana's children were taken from her in November and placed in foster care. And she was given a trial date where she could argue her case for getting them back. As the case progressed... CFS looked into her one-and-a-half-year-old son Aiden's medical history. They had zeroed in on an incident that happened several months earlier. When he was about four months old, we got him vaccinated, and he ended up having an allergic reaction to the vaccination. So first, his skin on his face literally started falling off, and then about a week later, he stopped moving his leg. And so I immediately took him to the emergency room, and uh, they said, oh, it looks like it's a viral infection. So, you know, in a couple weeks, he'll just start moving it again. And sure enough, in about 10 days... He started moving his leg again like nothing, so we never thought about it again. But the CFS doctor who looked at Aiden's x-rays came to a different conclusion than the doctors who evaluated Aiden in person. Their doctor said, no, he didn't have a viral infection. He had a spiral fracture, and you guys broke his leg. Stevana was horrified at this accusation and also confused. How had this CFS doctor come to a different conclusion than every other doctor who had examined Aiden in person. Aiden had seen five different medical people, right? The ER doctor, the urgent care doctor, his primary care doctor, and two different x-ray specialists who all agreed that it was a viral infection. In the meantime, the coroner who examined Haven had released his autopsy report. He was not able to determine the cause of death, but he did conclude that there was no fatal trauma. He's like, I can't say how it happened, but it doesn't appear to be abuse. Stevana was relieved by the coroner's report. 
and she expected her case to be dropped and to be reunited with her sons. But that's not what happened. Then we go through the case, and, you know, at that point, they found the allegations to be true. Which allegations? So everything from my daughter was dropped with the coroner's report, but with the boys, they found those allegations to be true. The court agreed with the CFS doctor who said that Aiden's leg injury was caused by abuse. So how did the CFS doctor come to this conclusion? Much of the criteria that they use is not based in science. It's speculation. This is Dr. Charles Hyman, the pediatrician who testified on Stevana's behalf in court. Stevana gave him permission to talk with me about her case. I visited his office one day in the Inland Empire and found him practically buried under stacks of books and papers that were spread out all over the floor and on every flat surface in sight. Hi, how you doing? Good, how you doing? David, nice to meet you. Check. Nice. Come on in. He's been a practicing pediatrician for decades, and he's critical of the doctors who testify for the prosecution in cases like these. There is a growing body of scientific evidence that some kids simply have weak bones and that they can have fractures that go unnoticed. It's possible that Aiden's leg was fractured during a diaper change or that one of the doctors who examined him may have fractured it. Dr. Hyman was critical of the way that CFS concluded that Aiden's fracture could only have been caused by abuse. They totally throw out the caretaker's history. Totally throw it up. They pass polygraphs even. They get rid of all this and come to a diagnosis of abuse. This was another baffling part of Stevana's case. Polygraphs are not admissible in court because they can be unreliable. But Stevana says that the homicide detectives gave her and her husband polygraph tests. And she says the results showed that both of them had been truthful when they said they had never abused any of their children. When CFS took Stevana's children away from her, they placed her older boy, Cameron, in the custody of his biological father. Stevana had him before she met Lofton. And Aiden was given to Stevana's mother. The good news was that Stevana could appeal the court's decision. We fought that, you know, didn't appeal, did all of that. Didn't matter. <laughs> didn't matter. It took over a year for the appeals process to play out. Aiden was one and a half years old when he was taken from Stevana. Now he was three. And the court decided to terminate Stevana's parental rights for good. They ended up terminating my rights for Aiden because they said that he had been with my mom longer than he had been with me so that he was... Sorry. (laughs) So that he was more attached to my mom than he was to me. Um, Also not true, considering I had him until he was a year and a half, and now he's, you know, at that point he was about three. So it was, and, and he was in foster care part of the time, but whatever, that was their reasoning. This was the beginning of a shift happening in the way Stevana saw the world. She had just lost a child. Then CFS took her two remaining kids, even though a doctor had concluded that neither she nor her husband were responsible for her daughter's death. She was heartbroken and angry and confused. How did a system designed to protect children cause so much trauma for her and her family? And why was no one in charge of doing something about this? 
Stevana says that her social worker told her about a loophole that would allow her to get Aiden back. If her mother adopted him, she could return him to Stevana, which she did. And Stevana was able to get Cameron back through a separate appeals process. CFS denied my request for an interview, but I did speak with a San Bernardino CFS social worker who asked to remain anonymous. They told me this arrangement is not uncommon and that social workers often acknowledge to the family that the system is broken. And though they can't formally endorse this process, it happens all the time. After losing custody of their kids, Stevana and her husband Lofton separated and eventually divorced. Then, four years after Haven died, Stevana got pregnant with another boy, who she named Declan, and her nightmare returned. The day after Declan was born, a CFS social worker showed up in Stevana's hospital room. They end up telling me that when they discharge me and the baby, that they're going to take the baby into custody, and they're also going to take Cameron again, and uh, I'll need to fight through the system again. So here we here we go, right? But what they were alleging this time was simply that Declan was in danger because we had a previous case. Not because there was abuse or anything like that, but because we had a previous case four years prior, he was in danger. So once again, Stevana was fighting to get her kids back. And this time around, she and her attorney made a shocking discovery. Something they were never supposed to know about. I was in my lawyer's office the night before we were set to go to court the next morning. Stevana says that her lawyer was reading through all the evidence that the CFS attorneys had faxed over when he found a document that should have been redacted, but wasn't. And uh, he hands me the paper, the discovery, and it shows that my mom was the one that called CFS when I was delivering Declan via C-section, right? So that's how they showed up before I was even able to sit up. This was confusing because after adopting Aiden, her mother returned him to Stevana. Why would she do that if she thought Stevana was an unfit mother? The next day, Stevana confronted her mom, but she denied calling CFS. Stevana says she later discovered phone records that showed a call made from her mother's phone to CFS on the same day listed on the unredacted document. But ultimately, it didn't matter who called CFS. Stevana still had to argue her case to get Declan back. Meanwhile, CFS had placed Declan with Stevana's sister. It took months for the case to go through the courts. Stevana was required to have a psychological evaluation. The doctor stated that there was no evidence to indicate that Stevana was abusive. But she did say, quote, she and her husband have used some questionable disciplinary techniques like wall sitting that might not be appropriate. This psychologist concluded that in her opinion, Stevana would benefit from reunification services. Despite this evaluation, Stevana's parental rights were terminated, just like before. Except this time, her sister became the legal guardian of Declan. And in the end, Stevana got him back through the same loophole she got Aiden back. Her sister adopted Declan and returned him to Stevana. One of the biggest questions I had about this was why would Stevana's mother return Aiden to her 
if she thought Stevana's home was unsafe. Do you have theories about why you think she did it? Um, I mean, the only thing that makes sense to me is money. Unfortunately, this agency pays foster parents a whole lot of money to have to take kids. And in our case, it's a high 900, so close to $1,000 that my mom gets for Aiden and close to $1,000 that my sister gets for Declan. Every month? Every month. Uh, like clockwork, right? To and then day. to this day, and they'll get that until they turn 18. Even though both of them live with you? Correct. And they don't give that money to you for the kids? No. How do you feel about that? Um, You know, it's it's... I try to stay positive. At least I have my kids, right? And it's money that it's not like they took money from me to do that, right? So it's definitely frustrating to see their money's being spent on things that aren't them, right? Um, so on a good day, when I'm no, most of the time, I'm just like, whatever. I don't care. I have my kids. They can do whatever they want. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I could really use an extra $24,000 a year, you know? considering I'm actually raising the kids. Today, Stevana lives with all three of her sons, though two of them do not legally belong to her. In December of 2022, a civil grand jury found that the San Bernardino CFS was too broken to fix. Their investigation found that CFS had lacked a comprehensive and complete background check system and that social workers we're not supposed to have caseloads of more than 40 per month. But the average caseload for social workers in San Bernardino County is 70 to 90. Stevana wasn't the same after her experience with CFS. She came to see the whole system as problematic, from the overworked social workers who don't have the resources to properly investigate claims to the lack of transparency about how these decisions are made and the financial incentives that reward people for taking kids away from their parents with little oversight over how that money is spent. There was a reason why God was <laughs> putting me through this crazy, um, and it was to fight for people, because what I saw over that time was um, families. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's old stuff. I'm not supposed to be crying over old stuff. Um just watching families in that office, you know, and I don't know their story. I don't know why they're there. It's a mess, right? And so I felt like that was my calling, right? And the reason why I was shown that was to be able to speak for those people. And if you look at the attorney general's report, they take 3 million kids a year. And of that, 2.7 are wrongfully removed. The actual number is 2.5 million. And what Stevana is referring to is a nationwide study done by Health and Human Services. It found that in 2012, of the 3.2 million children who were referred to the system, 2.5 million were declared non-victims. Having gone through the system herself, Stevana wasn't surprised by this study. If they could do this to me, an innocent mother, you know, of course they could do it to anybody people in these prisons that are saying I'm innocent, whereas before I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Now I'm like, they probably are. (laughs) So it definitely opened my eyes. And again, then just the rabbit hole. Okay. So it's not just black men in prisons. It's uh, immigrants coming over, asking for asylum, being put in detention centers. And then it's, you know, 
unarmed black man being shot. And it's just definitely opened my eyes really quick to this world that I didn't even know existed. And so that's where it really started. When we went through that fight, that's really what sparked that social justice. And that's somebody's got to speak for this. Stevana decided she could no longer sit back and do nothing while countless families and individuals fought against broken systems. She was going to do something about it. And she would start at the lowest rungs of government, the city council. After the break, Stevana finds some new allies on the campaign trail. And together, they set out to topple Bug and Mayor Kerr. Reforming child and family services was a key issue for Stevana, but she never brought it up during the campaign. She didn't want to draw attention to the fact that she'd lost custody of her children, which could be exploited by her opponents. She says her team went so far as to prepare a video explaining her side of the story in case it came up. But it never did, so she never had to address it. As a newcomer to politics, Stevana was winging it. At the time, she was working full-time for a nonprofit. She was raising her three kids as a single mom and trying to make it to as many local events and shake as many hands as possible. She raised money for campaign signs and drove around town, sticking them into the dirt along Highway 395. In addition to reforming prisons and CFS and cleaning up the mess that Jermaine and Kerr had made at City Hall, Stevana made another promise to voters. And it was probably the least sexy campaign promise I've ever heard. She wanted to finalize overdue financial audits. These audits of the city budget were supposed to be done annually, but the city was behind. Meanwhile, Bug and his colleagues had been going around town bragging about how much money all this cannabis was bringing in. And yet, there didn't seem to be any meaningful improvements in the city. So an audit would shed some light on this conundrum. And one of the great things about campaigning for city council was that twice a month, Stevana could show up to city council meetings and speak directly to her opponent, John Bug Woodard, in a public forum. So Stevana Evans, I'm a resident here. My issue with this is we just did a quick Google search on this company and the cons are horrible. At this meeting, she criticized the council for its decision to outsource some of the city's IT services to a private company. We need to do our research and make sure that we're not just handing $288 away to a company that we know nothing about. What's the problem with training our three people? It's already in the budget what we've been doing. Let's, let's not continue to fire people. Let's train the people we have and make sure they're efficient for our city. That's it. By the time Stevana announced her run for office, city council member Charlie Glasper had decided to retire at the end of his term. That meant there were two seats up for grabs in the November election, Glasper's and Bugs. There were nine candidates vying for those two seats, including Bug, who was running for re-election. And Bug had the benefit of a captive audience, so to speak. Every two weeks at City Hall, he could speak from the dais, 
and tout his successes as a council member to any potential voters in the audience. Like this time, he talked about bringing a rodeo to town. And uh, come on out and see the rodeo. The rodeo is really exciting. That's bringing, uh, bringing entertainment to our neck of the web. And sometimes, Bug used his pulpit to pat himself on the back. Every year, on his property, he put on a blues festival called Woody Stock, an event he was clearly proud of. And also over the weekend, the past weekend, the sixth annual Woody Stock blues festival that I produced went off pretty good, pretty much mostly without a hit, like every year, right? Other than these council meetings and the occasional interview with the media, one of the only other opportunities the candidates had to get their message out was at the debate. Uh, there's two council seats up for grabs here in the November election. About a month before the election, the candidates gathered for this debate at the Adelanto Stadium. It was the first day of October, 2018. Four years ago, Bug ran as an outsider. He showed up late to that debate wearing a straw cowboy hat and a Hawaiian shirt. His campaign slogan was businessman, not politician. But now, four years later, he was part of the establishment. And he looked it. This time around, he wore a suit and tie. His hair was still long, but he'd replaced his scraggly beard with a handlebar mustache. And when it came time to introduce himself at the debate, he opened with a familiar story about how he had come to Adelanto after a rude mortgage lender told him he couldn't afford to buy a house in California. Well, uh, I moved here in 1998. Bug also touted his success as an artist and a businessman. And then he concluded his introduction with a very bold campaign statement. The greatest thing I've ever been able to do was taking this broke city, fix it. The city was 2.7 down, going bankrupt, and I fixed it. Bug was saying, vote for me because I fixed Adelanto. As if he were Superman. And he'd just stopped the giant meteor from smashing the city to bits. The question was, what did Bug mean by fixed? Because many of the problems that plagued Adelanto hadn't magically disappeared simply because it was legal to grow weed. The roads were still terrible. Lots of folks didn't trust the water coming out of their taps, which was often cloudy and smelled like chemicals. And one of the few non-weed businesses that had opened in the city, Fat Boy's Grill, was closed down, and the owner, Jermaine Wright, was in prison. So many people felt that the promises Bug had made about the city getting rich had not been fulfilled. Not to mention the fact that the FBI had recently raided City Hall, the mayor's home, and the jet room which Bug had brokered the real estate deal on. All that to say is that as a candidate, Bug carried a lot of baggage. Unlike Stevana Evans, who was a fresh face to Adelanto politics. So my name is Stevana Evans. I am a 24-year resident of Adelanto. Um, I too grew up here and went to school when George was still located on the base. Stevana talked about the importance of building a community center and of bringing real jobs to Adelanto. But I think that we also need to focus on 21st century jobs. She also made it clear that she was pro-cannabis. But I believe what it's going to take for the cannabis industry to help the city is for it to be regulated properly. 
Then it goes into fixing the infrastructure and, and getting the services for the community. Without that tax revenue, there's no point in having cannabis here. So if you're going to be here, then you're going to pay your fair share just like everyone else, or we don't need you here. And that's the, my stance on that. And her closing argument was that the past four years of scandals at City Hall needed to come to an end. So I do believe the city is unstable right now. Um, as a council, they, a lot of the residents have lost trust in them, which makes us unstable. Uh, with all the different things going on, it's important that we have accountability. But let's not just talk about it anymore. Let's be the change, guys. We need positive, ethical, transparent government. And that's what I plan to give to the city. As I've mentioned, these candidate forums are poorly attended affairs. So it's hard to say how much of an impact they had on the election. But it gave Stevana a chance to set herself apart from the other candidates. Stevana also had a couple of allies on the campaign trail. One was Gabriel Reyes. Reyes was running for mayor in the same election, and he and Stevana were aligned on a lot of their political views. I think towards the end of the campaign, we decided, uh, Gabe and I, that we wanted to kind of loop someone else in. We kind of had our eyes on who we thought would, would work well with us and those kinds of things. Reyes and Stevana reached out to Gerardo Hernandez, who went by Jerry. He was a small business owner who was also running for city council. Stevana and Reyes felt that it would be to their advantage to all work together. Hernandez, Reyes, and Stevana all shared a similar vision for the future of Adelanto. They wanted to put an end to all the corruption of the last four years. On the night of the election, the three of them were all hanging out together at Reyes's home. I stayed there with our families and watched the results. They huddled together, nervously waiting as the results of the city council election came trickling in. And when the polls closed and all the votes were counted, it was a sweep. Reyes was the new mayor of Adelanto, and Hernandez and Stevana had both won the open seats. No more bug, no more cur, no more glasper. For me, it was like, now the work begins, right? That's kind of where I went. Like, okay, well, we did this, and now we get to work. Now all the plans, all the things that we talked about, we actually have to implement, figure out how to implement, because none of us had any experience. And so we had to figure out, now how do we take all of these campaign promises, quote-unquote, and bring them to life? It was a repeat of the previous election, in the sense that a new majority had been voted in. And this new majority had their work cut out for them. Because once they got into office, they started to realize that all those rosy financial projections that Mayor Kerr, Bug, and Germain had made about the city's finances may have been more fantasy than reality. So Stevana's call for a boring, unsexy audit was maybe more urgent than anyone expected. What is the city budget like these days? <laughs> you funny! So, um, it is just a bunch of made-up numbers that they pulled from God knows where and uh, put into a book and called it a budget. Soon, Stevana would get a grasp on the real numbers, and they were far from what Bug and Kerr had said they were. There's $4.8 million that we have no idea where it went. That kind of was depressing. Um, very frustrating for us as a new council, like... Y'all just lost $4 million and we all just cool with that. Just, just write it off. It's cool. Wait, what? Who do we fire? What happens? So um, it's deep. 
That's next time. If you loved this episode of Dreamtown, the story of Adelanto, you can hear the next episode right now. For early ad-free access to episodes, join Friends of the Pod, Crooked's new subscription community at crooked.com slash friends. Adelanto is an original podcast from Crooked Media. It's hosted, written, and executive produced by me, David Weinberg. Nick White is our story editor. Angel Carreras is our associate producer. Sound design, mix, and mastering by Brendan Baker of Phenomophon. Our theme song is by Icarus himself. And our original score is by Eric Phillips. Fact-checking by Amy Tardiff. Additional production help from Inez Maza, Sydney Rapp, and Kobe Copeland. Thanks to Betsy Zyko for narrating portions of the show. From Crooked Media, our executive producers are Sarah Geismer, Katie Long, and Mary Knopf. With special thanks to Allison Falzetta, Lyra Smith, Andrew Leland, Richard Parks III, Shaka Molly, and Katya Epikina. Mm-hmm.